0: Return, O Virgin Daughter of Israel, to these your highways by which you went. Welcome to Reunion Roadmap, a place to discover the people and communities along the highway of restoration for Israel's House of Joseph. Reunion Roadmap is a Bene Yosef, North America production. Be our guest for the next hour as we meet the people of the emerging house of Joseph here in North America. Hello, this is Stefani Pappas, and with me is Al McCarn, our executive director, and we're going to part three in our interview with Margot Crossing and Richard Hewitt, who attended a meeting, a
1: symposium, if you will, in India, isn't that correct, Al? Well, that's right, uh, the interconnectivity of ancient Israel in Asia, and that was November of last year, 2023. So uh, the starting of this segment is where Margot talks about the Lost Tribes Institute. And this is where we get the vision for where to go next. The idea, the vision of the Lost Tribes Institute is what inspired Margot and her colleagues to uh, put together this symposium. As they have brought out in this three-part interview, there's uh, a Lost Tribes Cafe that Richard hosts, on Zoom. Uh, if you're interested in that, then just let us know at reunionroadmap at beneosfna.com, uh, or listen to Richard as he gives his email address and you just contact him directly. The, the neat thing here is we are living in the time when the prophecy of the return of Ephraim, the reassembly of the house of Joseph, is happening. And we're hearing two of the people God has called to uh, be instrumental in this process. It's fascinating what is happening and where and when. Yes. So as we go on to uh, listen to this concluding segment, let me remind you that there is a publication of the proceedings of the symposium, and you can find that on uh, on Amazon, the link is in uh, the description to this podcast. So with that as introduction, let's go on back to Wai Wai Australia and to Santa Monica, California, to finish our conversation with Margot Crossing and Richard Hewitt.
2: And um, so that's where we're about to launch off to. We're about to um, form a uh, Lost Tribes Institute uh, which will be an overarching uh, organization that will have within it um, the academy uh, events such as the scientific symposium. So we'll do another, um, hopefully another two this coming year. Um, and then hopefully uh, 2025 we'll go to South India because that's just, you know, there's just so many, you know, people claiming to be part of that in in that part of the world. Um, I haven't included them as yet because they are such a huge component. Um, but I didn't want to overwhelm what we were doing, you know, with Kyrgyzstan and Japan and stuff like that. But anyway, so at the time I was flying to in July, so late July, I was flying to Japan to see Ari Masakubo. And, um, so when I met him in Tokyo, he had my, um, draft copy of my, my book in his hand and, um. And he said to me, so this is the person who's done 30 years, television shows, YouTube channels, you know, has a, you know, website, you know, so he, he's got my paper in his hand and he says, you know, he says, Margo, now I know all of my research has a purpose. Okay. And so the purpose, you know, so the purpose is he now knows that it's about bringing people back into the father's family through Yeshua, the son, through the understanding of, you know, our people were were once ancient Israelites, and our people would have had a, a script, a book that Richard will refer to, and our people would have had an expectation that he was sending somebody, and um, so so that's so that's what we're hoping to do with this um with this symposium. The academy is to train people in that sort of thinking, you know, so that um, uh, and so so we've actually got. Uh, Lost Tribes Institute Northeast Asia branch already up and running. You know, because uh, the Makis have uh, I think eighty percent of them are Hindu, sixteen and a half percent are Christian, and these small group of Christians within that group are going, Hey, we think we were all Israelites once upon a time. And um so so that looks like the next, you know, cab off the rank for me anyway. So um We've got uh, so we had two evangelists uh, um, come to the symposium. One was uh, from Manapoi, named Lean Boy Gante, Um, just lovely, lovely man. You know, all part of the Messianic movement over there. And the other, other evangelist we had was um, Dr. uh, PC Bixiama. Now, Dr. PC Bixiama was the biggest opponent. To the Mizo's being part of the Lost Tribes of Israel, it was very vocal. Had gone on television, deba- debated my daughter-in-law's uncle, who was, you know, famously part of the Lost Tribes movement over there. Um, and so, people were very, you know, um, shattered on whether they were this way or that way. Within, in the, and so, um, so most people, even if they believed, didn't talk about it in in Mizoram. Uh, there, then there was the people who did believe, who you know had joined. Um, some sort of, lot you know, uh, B'nai Menashe um, congregation, or a Sabbath keeping, or a Torah keeping, you know. So that it all splintered, splintered, splintered. And then there was the people that had rejected Christianity and become um, Jews, you know, and formed you know, one of part of the two synagogues in the city. And so that was Doctor Bixiama's biggest uh fear that you know this this you know, Judaism was going to be pulling people away from you know Christianity. And so he translated my book into Mizo, published it, and and was the keynote speaker at the end, or the end note speaker um at the end, and got up and said, I have done 180 degrees on on my position. He said, now I know that you know the Mizzos are part of the lost tribes, and that it was always God's purpose to send the lost tribes into the nations to redeem the whole world. <laughs> so that, it was a, it was a it was a big big deal for me to have him say those things at the end. So it was um, you know uh, fabulous. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I could jump in there and say, you know, some of the theology
3: that was explored during this time was wonderful too and i think what we see with dr pc pixiama and his 180 degree turn there is uh was the theology he's a person who's loved the lord all his life and always thought that this was destructive and when he saw that it was actually the identity of his people and that the end was messiah yeshua and not not just identity maybe i should say that but um i think i think again he he saw the fullness of of Jesus in this, fullness of scripture, fullness of of what God has called his people to. So it was really it was really the highlight I have to agree yeah.
1: yeah, that in itself is well, that's worth talking to you both. In fact, now I'm thinking, this is another interview. Uh.
3: <laughs> you know it really is. There's a lot of amazing, wonderful theological aspects to this. And, and yeah. some of our are, are rabbit trails that can just go on and on and others are, are, are big pie pieces, but, um, it's amazing. Some of the theological ramifications of yeah. this.
1: Well, I would say one of the biggest and something that we should keep at the forefront is we're not enemies here right. whether we're, we're talking about mainstream Christians or Uh, Messianic Jews or Hebraic believers who are understanding their identity, especially those who have the cultural memory like the Mesos and like the Kyrgyz. Um, Our business is the redemption of the world, the restoration of all Israel and the nations with Israel, and preparing the way for Messiah's coming. So it's our theological misunderstandings and disagreements that have set us up at odds with each other, but we're all on the same team.
2: Yeah, that's right. We are. We are. It's uh, it really is. And that, and my book is called "The Restoration of Israel Leads to the Restoration of All Things." That's what my little. It's only thirty-two pages, not very long, but that's um, that was what was changing people's. That was what was changing people's minds and changing people's views. So one of the one of the things, the really interesting things that's happening in Japan is that. They have a movement there. It's not that big. I think they've only had one hundred and five you know people that come through this this ideology or this theology uh, so far. But it's called um messianic Shintoism, okay, mm-hmm. So it's taking the same, so it's so it's people inside Japan going, "Oh, we were once ancient Israelites. Our Shinto customs are Israelite customs. and uh, so therefore, we can believe in Yeshua. Um, what's the Japanese word there, there, Richard? They actually have a number, but one of the ancient,
3: ancient names for Yeshua is, is- um, Uza Masi. Uza Mas- Sorry, Uzza Masa. Uza Masa. So Uza being like Isa in Islam or, or Yesu, and then Ma- Masa being um, um, Masha. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think I can't remember the Arabic. I think uh, Adi Kubo thinks it's a, It comes from the Arabic, Aramaic. Sorry,
2: Aramaic. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so they're they're calling themselves Shint, uh, Messianic Shintus, because, like the Messianic Jews, they don't want to leave their culture. They don't want to feel alienated from their family, from their friends, from their relatives. You know, um, but they do want to embrace Yeshua. And um, so the same principles as messianic Judaism is happening in a very small scale in Japan at the moment.
1: So, are there similar developments among Hindus and Muslims who are understanding or beginning to understand their Israelite identity?
2: Richard can speak to some of that, I'm sure.
3: Yeah, you know there there is in Kyrgyzstan. There's just a very few that I know. Very few they call them Isa Muslims there there's actually a few also that would hold to faith in Yeshua Isa and remain to the um, adherence of the pre-islamic religion which is called tangitism so and that's beautiful that the pre-islamic um religion there this tangitism is really very very much like abraham isaac and jacob a faith the sacrifices um and just trying to walk with the lord day day by day and and we're learning more and more about the Hindu movement. It seems like in South India, again, um, this is just what I've what I've read and heard that there's a large number of um of Hindus who are following Jesus as their guru or sat guru. And um and then we've been in contact through the Lost Tribes of Israel Cafe with some someone from um New Delhi who also sees a lot of these connections with uh with with Jesus in in uh, Hindu culture. So there's definitely something happening. I'm familiar with a, a Sikh who um, says the same things happening with the Sikhs. There's many believers mm-hmm. in in um, Yeshua who are Sikhs and staying within the Sikh religion. It's happening all over. I think this is wonderful. And I, again, I think, I think what's happening is the lost tribes of Israel were scattered to all all the nations. Mm-hmm. And now the nations are realizing, whoa, our connection is back um, to the Torah and the Torah points us to the Messiah. So, mm-hmm. um, they're there it's like two things at one time. They're both getting rooted to their real identity, coming back to the ancient God of their ancient fathers, and they're walking with the Son of God.
1: I think one huge element of faith for those of us, especially in Western Christianity, is that we should not expect any of these people to become Christians as we understand it. Right. Yeah. And, you know, this just takes our whole soteriology, our whole doctrine of salvation, and flips it on its head. Hmm. It, I tell you, I've been wrestling with that for years now, is what I learned growing up in a Baptist church in a Presbyterian school, it's not wrong. Jesus is the only way, accept him as Savior, and then you, well, you know, we heard, go to heaven. I would say, come into the covenant now. So that's not wrong. But it's bigger than that. And what I'm hearing now about the Shinto in Japan and the Hindus and and the Muslims, the Kikis, I even heard of uh, years ago in Sri Lanka about Buddhists who are coming to their Israelite identity. God's business of salvation of the nations is a whole lot bigger than what we learned in the Western church and how we've carried it out. Praise God that we have carried it out, but let's not hinder the work of God by trying to squeeze everyone into
3: the same formula.
2: That's Yeah, and, and that's right. And Richard talks about that all the time. I think you've written books about that too, haven't you? What's, yeah. what's your latest book called, Richard? Come Home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so,
3: you know, Margo and I were in a conversation the other day, and and uh, what I really believe is some of the larger religions like Islam and Christianity kind of give us a, a kind of a monochromatic look mm. where we all kind of start using the same language or dressing the same way. If it's within Islam, maybe your beard has to be the same way. If you're Mennonite, you have to have a certain beard also. So, you know, we just do that within religion and, and communism does it too. You've got the Chinese or the, or the Soviets that all dressed very similar. And what we're seeing in Asia, because Asia kind of avoided a lot of these big, monochromatic religions is you see this beautiful color popping up and one expression of the the torah fragments that remained in their culture and and now a faith in, in yeshua is going to look totally different like you're going to have the messianic shintos who are going to be very very different from the messianic buddhists that you're talking about in sri lanka who might be different than the messianic um Chilik people that i'm that i'm seeing in kyrgyzstan but they're they're um, they're bound by this international book, which has seeded every culture. So, so again, all these cultures come back to their original source, the Torah, the Tanakh, the Scripture. Um, they have one king who's leading them, Yeshua, and I, I, I see, like I see him in the coat of with the coat of Joseph, the coat of many colors, and I think that the nations, in a sense are, the, co- uh, are his, the many colors. you know? We, in, in English, we say uh, we're going to raise the colors, and, and uh, that means the flag. And I think he's wearing the flags of the nations and the ethnicities of all the people, too, of all the colors of the people. It's just absolutely beautiful because you can, you can still be 100% Kyrgyz and 100% biblical. You can be 100% Japanese, 100% messianic, and 100% biblical. It doesn't, it, it's not a conflict. But if you reject scripture, if you reject Yeshua as a Kyrgyz, no. then you get in this mess. It's only when you reject Yeshua and you reject the, the scripture that you get in this mess. And now people are telling you, you need to be Islamic and being Kyrgyz means to, to bow to, to yeah. the desert. Well, you're a mountain people, you've got to, you've got to bow to the desert. You've got this amazing hero named Manas, son of Jacob. And that's what's the leaders of one of the tribes of Israel. It's in this book that, that there's all sorts of reasons for you to believe that this is your ancient book. But now all these rich people from a different country are telling you, no, 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 that's not your book. You can't read it. So if you don't read it, if you don't believe it, if you don't believe that your ancestor, Manas son of Jacob, is in that book, then you have to believe he's a fairy tale. So all of a sudden the Kyrgyz are saying that the peak of their culture, Manas son of Jacob, is some sort of fairy tale. And you should, so they're getting in more and more of a mess. They're getting further and further away from what it really means to be Jacob, what it really means to be Kyrgyz. And the the people who are coming to the book are being accused of selling their religion, but they're the ones who are actually finding the roots of their ancient faith, their ancient forefathers and their culture. So it's it's just such a wonderful time to be disciples of of Yeshua um and 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 followers of this amazing script, we're just, you know, we're just characters in this amazing script. And those who are rejecting it are just getting more and more messed up psychologically mm-hmm. and and culturally and, and sure. nationalistically, their identity and everything.
1: Oh, we could unpack this for another hour or two. I, and I think we will. But, yes, uh, I agree with you, Richard. And Margot, thank you. Thank you so much for being such an engine of Bringing these different peoples together uh, and continuing to literally look for uh, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Mm-hmm. So what should we expect next? And, uh, you know, keep watching this space for your YouTube channel. And and also a question of the Lost Tribes Cafe. Is that open to anyone who's interested?
3: Yes, it is. We've actually been on a break since the high holidays back in in september i tried to get it restarted and then you know other holidays come up sicknesses and illnesses and then uh and then our trip to india so hopefully it's going to be starting again in the next week or two okay it's open to everyone just send me your email address and i'll put your i'll, I'll send you a link
1: okay great and and i will make sure in the notes to this podcast that uh well we can i get your email richard yes. and we can send yes. that out to everybody yeah.
3: Yes, of course.
1: Well, I hate to break bring this to an end, but I know Marco, you have another appointment. And, <laughs> and
2: I literally you... have an appointment about the Lost Tribes Institute, <laughs> so that's where I'm going. We're we're putting a think tank together to start with, and then we'll have to get board members and blah 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 blah, and you know, so we're just we're just waiting on the Lord to you know, with the leading. I've already been given a library. Um, so I presume it's going <laughs> to keep going because it's on the Lord's heart that we do this.
3: Yeah,
1: it most definitely is. This, I mean, you're doing the serious academic thing, and I'm excited. Well, Margot Crossing and Richard Hewitt, thank you so much for blessing us with your time and your thoughts and sharing your hearts. <laughs> thank you, Al. It's been nice. It's
2: been an honour. Yeah, thank, thank you, Al. <laughs> we'll, we'll be on again. Richard's got so much to say.
1: Now we're blessed to share with you the music of House of Aaron. This is your presence from the album Walk Beside Me, featuring the voice of Tara Clay, available at HouseofAaron.org.
4: Shalom, everybody. Welcome to the mid-rush portion of Reunion Roadmap. This is David Jones. With me today is Barry Phillips. Shalom, brother. Shalom, David. Had a thought, uh, you know, and, and we live in a world today where, let's face it, we all want peace and love. Yes. Yes. It, like absolutely. the, you know, the question, you know, one thing in the world, what do you want? I want world peace, right? <laughs> <I> mean, we, <laughs> we we all want peace and love. The thing is. By whose definition um, when we say we want peace, we generally mean no conflict, and when we say "love," we mean "Oh, I just want to be able to do what I want to do and uh, without any consequences and and that that 's not what this means. Um, you know, <laughs> Biblically, when we talk about peace and love, this is not uh, you can do whatever you want and, and say and think whatever you want and, and no because see, if everybody did that, I guarantee you people are going to get hurt. what i what I submit to you is you cannot have peace and love without righteousness and justice, because
5: okay.
4: the, the, the righteousness and justice set the boundaries for peace and love flourish Psalm eighty-nine, fifteen, says righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne and loving kindness and truth go before you so this is in this scenario is putting righteousness and justice on the same plane as loving kindness and truth and the word loving kindness is chesed which is also translated as grace and mercy grace so righteousness and justice are going together with grace and truth and you can't really disassociate these from one another, and this ties in with love because, even like Yeshua said, if you love me, keep my commandments. You know, mm-hmm. and and all of the Torah is based on these two things, right? Love the Lord your God with the whole mm-hmm. your heart, all your soul, all your might, and love your neighbors yourself. Love is the the core of the word of Yahweh, but love does not mean no boundaries and and in today's society that's that's very counterculture from what society teaches us today you know we hear a lot of words like uh you know love means you'll just let me do whatever i want to do um and you hear things like well my truth is okay my truth no there's one truth um the truth is is yahweh is in his word that's one truth and Truth and grace go together. You can't, if you try to give grace without truth, it's a perversion of grace. And all of that, again, goes back to the foundation of righteousness and justice. If you try to have everybody doing whatever they want in the name of, well, that's what I love, uh, people are going to get hurt. And without the boundaries, it's just going to create an anarchist society and it's, it's going to end up, uh, you know, burning itself to the ground. <laughs> so how do we get in here and, and understand this concept of love and grace need the foundation of righteousness and justice?
5: Well, I, the first thing I think of is uh, Beresheet 18, Genesis 18, where... Uh, Abraham is being informed about the impending judgment coming to the cities of the plain. And Yah's own um, understanding of Abraham in verse 19 says, for I have known him so that he commands his children and his household after him to guard the way of Yahweh. What is the way of Yahweh? the daka vayushmatim, righteousness and right ruling, or justice, so that Yahweh brings to Abraham what he has spoken to him. The covenant promises made to Abraham were based on the fact that he not only walked in, but also trained his future generations to walk righteously and to act in justice. Not allowing the miscarriage of justice for our own benefit and uh, self promotion. So these two pillars are uh, vital to the establishment of Torah. If you want to walk in the commands, you have to have a righteous heart. It's not just rule keeping, it is a righteous heart as you keep the commands. And it's the idea of if I observe the Torah to my own benefit, but to the detriment of my brother, I've misapplied Torah. Mm. So I have to live out his commands in such a way that it not only benefits me and mine, but those that I'm in community with as well. So when we see diatribes and social media, castigating and slamming others who don't observe as we observe or think as we think, we're doing injustice to the validity of Torah. His commands are of no effect to us. Our obedience is rendered as disobedience when we are harming those that we're in community with because we disagree with them. So that's the two pillars. So how can I turn then to my Father and ask for loving kindness, for chesed? Father, show me mercies and grace if I'm not offering the same to those that are around me. So as I give loving kindness to others, I can rightly expect that the Father will give it to me. If I am screaming at someone else for perceived error in their understanding, should I not then expect the same in return that others or even Yah himself would scream at me and say, you got it wrong? Well, it can be wrong. I studied it. I know what I'm talking about. Well, you may have studied things in error. We don't want to hear that, David. We, we like to think, well, because I went to my favorite websites, and they backed me up in my opinion, I must be right. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember Frank House of Blessed Memory would advocate reading and understanding those who disagree with you as much as those who do agree with you. Because you have to understand both sides of the argument in order to come to a right conclusion. So he would read things he knew from the onset. i want to disagree with this, but he would read and state it anyway because he wanted to understand what the opposite view might be and see if there's any validity in it. Uh, most of us, number one, we don't have that much time, and number two, we don't <laughs> have that many that much guts <laughs> 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 to, to actually read what we know we're going to disagree with. So, I've got books in my, my library that most of you would be horrified that I actually own them, but I wanted to see what the opposite argument was to see if I could figure out what the error might be. So anyway, um, this act of loving commitment, I, grace and love, current, current worship tunes seem to promote the idea of the Father's love to us almost to an extreme, and in some cases, to an extreme. And I, I, David, I understand where people have grown up in, in environments where they were not loved and where they were neglected and sometimes abused. And they find the love of the Father, and it overwhelms them. So obviously they want to sing about his love. I get that. Um, But with the Father's love, there is also chastening and discipline. And as you rightly pointed out, it's not without boundaries. There are firm boundaries that are established that are based on his love for us. He's not trying to restrict our lives and push us down a narrow hole, but rather he's trying to establish the wide and but firm boundaries and say within these boundaries there's the fullness of life. Outside them is the realm of death. Don't go out there. So his boundless love, one, one song just a few years ago came out and talked about the reckless love. Yeah. And we have saying that until I got to thinking about it. I said, I don't agree with the idea of his love being reckless. His love is calculated. His love is determined. His love is focused. His love is no matter what. His love is based on truth. So you can't walk in error. And him say, Oh, I just love you anyway. So we're not going to consider our uh, concern ourselves with the fact that you're walking in there. We're just going to go with it. That doesn't work. Yeah, it's, it's this idea
4: of, well, his grace is imparted to us so that we can continue to live however we want without any uh, consequence, right? Um, yeah. No, no, no. His, his grace is given to us. To equip us to continue to go forward and not crush ourselves when we make a mistake or mess up. It equips us to live as he has called us to live, which is where those boundaries come into play. Agree. The the idea of justice, you know, even uh, like, you know, here in America, you have the the scales of justice, right? Why is it a scale? Why is it a scale? You know, and why does the Torah talk about you're to have just weights and scales, you know, honest and accurate weights and scales? Because there is a balance in things, and this is where the truth comes in. You know, you hear, well, the truth will set you free. Well, that's only part of the quote. He says, if you were my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So to be his disciple, we have to follow him. We have to study him. We have to read his words. We have to, uh, you know, hear his voice, follow him, do the things that he did, see the things that he ex- wanted us to experience, all of these things. Then we will know the truth. It's not just about, you know, the truth will set you free. It won't set you free if you don't know what it is. And so we come to him and he gives us that. But then we need to learn how to walk in that grace that He gives us, uh, grace is not an absence of of uh, obedience. Grace equips us to be obedient.
5: What grace has become in recent years in teaching is freedom from accountability. Mm-hmm. Well, He knows that I can't help myself; that I have this habit or this uh, this um, tendency to act in certain ways or be certain ways. But he just gives me his grace to get through another day. That's not grace. Grace is divine empowerment to do what the Torah or the covenant requires of us. Grace is not so much an eraser or a a band-aid over our sins. It is the power to not sin in the beginning. Grace would teach you to say no.
4: You know, I I like that. (laughs) It, it it has the boundaries in there to be able to say, nope, not going to do that, not going to walk that way, not going to do these things. It it shows us how to uphold the Father's heart and his desires and the things that he's called us called us to walk in. Yeah. Um, further, grace does not change what righteousness means. And we are supposed to walk in righteousness. So what does that mean? Well, righteousness, it's, it's his ways is righteousness. Mm-hmm. Which means it's his word. His word reveals his righteousness, and so when we walk in his righteousness, we're walking in his ways. And uh, grace does not do away with righteousness. We are to walk according to his word, and uh, that equips us to do exactly that. You know, like we read in uh, in Ezekiel, I will give them a new heart, and I will give them a new spirit, so that they will keep my Torah.
5: Mm. So the balance of all of this is that if we want the strength to refrain from sin and to walk in truth, we got to uh, be willing to be those who walk up righteously and treat others fairly. All of that goes hand in hand, one with the other. Sounds like a good way to sum it up, Barry.
4: And uh, I think it does just that. We are out of time. so. Guys, we uh, love your your questions, your comments, your feedback, and just uh, your your uh, things that you would like to like to hear on these programs as well. So, if you have anything you'd like to send us, please do so at Reunion Roadmap at benayyosefna Till next time, shalom everyone. Shalom.
1: Here are Lenny and Varda with Call to Ephraim from their album Restoration, available at LennyandVarda.com.
6: To find the people on the own And change their name from the army To the children of the come back to your Father's house. He waits for you with open arms to bring the unity back to the
1: Well, our musical guests on this podcast, House of Aaron singing Your Presence, and just now you heard Lenny and Varda call to Ephraim, and the Midrash, Barry and David presented Grace in Righteousness. Stefania, what did you take from the Midrash?
0: One comment that Barry made, I appreciated, he was talking about a very popular song that it's all- uh, in the lyrics, it says reckless love, and he was saying that this is a heavenly father where he is an Elohim of order, a God of order. He would not have a love that is reckless. Uh, he would have a love that, and, and righteousness, when we're talking about righteousness here, that type of love is not reckless. Righteous love is not a reckless love, and he's filled with loving kindness as Also, David was talking about how this, he mentioned about the Hebrew word chesed, which means loving kindness, and also uh, mercy towards us who are, and and if you were talking about the return of Ephraim, bringing us back, we have to actually see we were the ones that looked upon Torah as a strange thing. And now he's looking upon us now as we're returning and with all our stumbling and bumbling, and we have to admit that, that that's that's what we do. Stumbling and bumbling because we are newbies, and we even stumble and bumble into pride, thinking that we have all the answers. And then when we get confronted in that area as well, we start humbling ourselves and realizing how how much the father has been so completely compassionate and loving and merciful towards us that he still has his plan in order. He's still going to keep his covenant, and he's still calling us home and whispering his precious love for us in our ears.
1: You know, it's been a consistent failing with both houses of Israel. Uh, You know, I was reading uh, recently in Jeremiah 7, where God says, do not pray for this people. I am not going to hear you. Actually, he says that three times in Jeremiah 7 and Jeremiah 11, and I think it's Jeremiah 14. So if God says something three times, we better pay attention. It's pretty important. My impression from reading is that ancient Israel, Judah in this case, was uh, working on their own version of cheap grace. You know, today on the in in Christian circles, at least American Christian circles, there are some who emphasize grace to the point, and that's what Barry and David were talking about, that we are saved by grace and therefore we don't have to worry about sin or consequences. No, that's not right. Yeah. Well, in the ancient days, as Jeremiah is saying, the people of Jerusalem are saying, we have the temple of the Lord, and therefore we can do whatever we want. And God says, no. Because I'm not even going to hear any prayers for this people because of that. So if that was the case with Judah, who had the visible presence of God in the Shekinah there at the the temple, then what is it for us today? Well, that is a sobering note, but there is hope, because there's always hope with our Father. For which reason, we read his word, we internalize it, we obey it. Amen. So that's going to do it for this edition of Reunion Roadmap. Please go to our website, beneyosefna.com, B-N-E-Y-Y-O-S-E-F-N-A Y-O-S-E-F-N-A.com. com. And uh, check out our resources, check out our donate button, because uh, if you partner with us, we'll be greatly honored, and that will help us to uh, stay on the air. So on behalf of Tsevanya Pappas and Barry Phillips and David Jones, this is Al McCarn, Shavua Tov.
0: Thank you for joining
1: us on our Union Roadmap, a production of B'nai Yosef,
0: North America. Please come back next week for another visit with the people of the
1: Emerging House of Joseph here in North America.